Hello and welcome to the Thunder Buddies podcast. I'm your host for today, Michael Martin. On this fine Friday afternoon, morning that we're sitting here, I am joined by Joe on the road, my Thunder Buddy, Joe Masato. What's going on, Joe? Not much, Michael. I'm, I'm here in Cleveland, a, a city that gets a bad rap, but a city I thoroughly enjoy in my very limited time here last night. So my, uh, my hotel is near Little Italy, and I was like, I wonder what Little Italy in Cleveland is like. And it was just a charming little area. I had a nice, uh, nice Italian meal um, and uh, walked back to the hotel. So, so far, so good. I'm going to hit up the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Not the biggest music guy. But I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna take in the experience. You're not a big music guy. W- what does well, that entail? <laughs> like, <laughs> I like. <laughs> oh boy, that's a good one. I, I like uh, the the sound of music, both the the film and um, the actual sound of music. But I'm not like. I'm not. You know, I don't go to like a ton of concerts or or whatever. But like. I mean, I, I like all types of music. I'm just not, like, passionate about music. That's what I should have said. That's fair. Yeah, I'm not a big concert guy either. I like to listen to my stuff with very high quality without anyone singing around me who also paid for tickets or anything like that. Maybe that's selfish, but... How dare you? I like to enjoy my music on my time and on my uh, my terms. But that's yeah, fair. We, you were in the Music City... But I think we uh, it was the more of the Blues City the other day as the Oklahoma City Thunder lose to the Memphis Grizzlies, one hundred two to one twenty three. The Grizzlies pulled that one out and went against the Thunder. What did you see on that night? Weird game. Um, started off slow for uh, both teams. I, I was intrigued going into the matchup, uh, John Morant versus the Thunder without Lou Dort, and we all know Lou Dort would normally draw that assignment instead. Most of it fell to Jalen Williams, J-Dub, Aaron Wiggins, Shea Gilgis, Alexander, both had some turns. But um, Morant ended up having a very well-rounded and good game. Didn't kill them with his scoring, but he did have a a triple-double setting the Grizzlies record. The the thing, though, that turned this game was points in the paint. These are two of the top three teams in points in the paint per game in the NBA. Like, you think about their offenses, you know, Memphis is centered – centered around Morant, you know, getting to the rim, putting pressure, kicking out. Desmond Bain was out, but anyway. The Thunder, Shea Gilgis Alexander gets gets to the rim, um, does most of his work there, and Memphis just torched the Thunder on points in the paint and efficiency in the paint, and I thought that was the difference. Yeah, it felt like it. You, you could definitely see the game plan from the Grizzlies, who are one of the best teams in the NBA at just packing the paint defensively, and it made it really hard for the Thunder. It looked like the Grizzlies fans were about to riot whenever Shea shot what felt like 50 free throws in the first quarter, which were all earned. I, yeah, yeah. I uh, I think they were about to riot. It was – Shea is – he's taken a leap, obviously, the, this year, and his reputation, like, you can just see it changing. And, and I understand that, like – the overwhelming percentage, 90% of whatever, the time he's going to get to the line, like it's going to be well-earned. Maybe the other 10%, and this is a very inexact calculation, but like is reputation-based. Those like superstar-type fouls that those guys are going to get. And when he, again, puts so much pressure on the rim, is always amongst the trees. Like He's just going to get calls sometimes. And Taylor Jenkins and Grizzlies fans were just, 
irate at the whistle. So Shea goes 17 of 19 from the line. That's a career high both in makes and attempts. And um, so I, I described it this way on, on Thunder After Dark after the game, that there's a difference between, like, if you want to get upset with James Harden's free throw tendencies to Shea's. Harden got to the point where he was driving the lane, I think, with the sole mission of looking for a foul and knew that's what he was going to do. I think Shea is trying to finish or pass out when he drives to the lane and not necessarily, you know, going in there just to be fouled. So um, I, I say that because I've already seen some people like, oh, man, I hope he doesn't turn into Harden, which is, is also kind of silly because Harden's one of the best scorers in NBA history. Um but I, I think that's a that's a big difference right now, and Shea also does a lot less complaining. Yeah, that and Shea will play actual defense, which is nice. But I hey, there's a there's a big difference. Yeah, there's a difference. Very solid. And then um, I don't know. I I feel the same way as you. Where we've talked about this before on the pod and off it about how this needs to be a tool in Shea's bag, but it can't be the entire bag like it felt like for James Harden at times, where it was like he's just driving looking to get fouled, and if he doesn't get those fouls, it just takes a chunk out of his game, and it looked like it affected him. But Shea, it doesn't seem like that. It feels kind of like the icing on the cake if he can get some of those fouls. Even then, the Thunder couldn't pull out the win. I don't know. The the Grizzlies just present a lot of problems to this Thunder team in particular. Historically, this has not been a great matchup for them over the last couple of years, but the Grizzlies just made it very, very difficult for them. You mentioned Lou Dort. It felt like he was sorely missed on both ends just because he's one of the top scorers on this team even though he hasn't been very efficient this year just an extra pressure relief valve another guy who's going to be aggressive and the defensively is the obvious one where you know he's the point of attack defender you have no real rim protection so point of attack is much more important and you're playing against John Morant who's one of the best players in the league yeah, you, you said it, and I, I don't think, so Dort is out with a knee contusion, have no idea about his status for Saturday at Cleveland. It doesn't seem like it's going to be a long-term injury. Also missing Kenrich Williams, who would have given them some help on the defensive end. Now, I mean, you can also say Memphis was missing its second-best player in, in Desmond Bain, or third, depending on how you rank Jaron Jackson Jr. and Desmond Bain, but... Um, Triple J was awesome in this one and is one of the best um, post defenders in the NBA. And um, you look at, so I, I just pulled up Shea's game log. Um, two of his seven worst games this year by game score. I don't know everything that goes into basketball references, game score um, numbers, but two of his, his worst was on November 18th. Um, at Memphis when he was 6 of 18 from the floor, 15 points. And then the other night was his seventh worst game of the season. Did have 26 points. We mentioned the free throws, but was just 4 of 14. Um, so Shea went 6 of 18 and, and 4 of 14 in his two games against the Grizzlies. So, like, they – I know it's a tiny sample, but they're presenting uh, a problem, and they're they're packing the paint as much or more so than any team he's playing against. Well, they're playing defensively, like you mentioned, packing the paint, and then a lot of just anyone but Shea can beat us. And mm-hmm. the Thunder just proved on the perimeter shooting threes that they just couldn't do that, which is a unique problem for them. Um, I mean, you saw this going back to last year when they lost by 
the NBA record amount of points, where this is just kind of what the Grizzlies do. The Thunder predicated on getting the rim. They're one of the best teams, if not the best, at like driving the lane and just the number of drives they have per game. And whenever you play a team like Memphis, who has all the rim protection and just says, you're not going to do that. You're going to have to beat us shooting threes. And that's one of the problems we've seen from this Thunder roster over the last couple of years is shooting. It's just a recipe for disaster. So I don't know. This was another one of those games to me where just watching the team, and you can tell me if I'm just overreacting based off a of one-game sample size, where you can tell that they sorely need still a true number two scorer next to Shea who can take some pressure off of him. Yeah, and, you know, like, Dort is obviously not a number two scorer in the ideal sense, but, like, he's just behind Giddy this year, but, you know, last year he was that team's number two scorer. So not the number two scorer you want on a, you know, contending level team, but, you know, like his shot selection or not, like, He's, he's going to attract some attention. He's going to barrel his way to the rim. And even without a guy like that on the floor, like you can, you can see um, how the Thunder can struggle offensively just putting guys on the floor who are going to try to initiate their own offense. I actually thought the three-point shooting was fine. I mean, they, they shot 37%, um, which is good by Thunder standards. The problem is they shot 37% from two-point range as well. But, yeah, I mean – not a lot more to say about this one. Uh, there just wasn't enough offense on the floor. I mean, the Grizzlies shot 51%. The Thunder shot 37%. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's that. And then the last thing on that game that I'll bring up is, um, is a pun here. Are we, in, are we reaching the end of Bays here? The end of days, end of Bays days here? Because it's a second straight DNP. Yeah, I'm not ready to go there quite yet, but... It was one of the more interesting subplots from that game. I mean, this is a guy who was never getting DNP's coach's decision, and now he's got two in a row. Also, I, I know all of us have, like, short-term memories, but this is also somebody who has started 117 games with the Thunder. I mean, he was a full-time starter um, in his sophomore season, a most of the time starter last season, and he's played 18 games this year without making a start. Uh, his minutes are are way down. I mean, going from averaging 31 in 2020, uh, 20, 2021, um, 28 last season, and now he's down um, to 15.6 minutes per game. So the Thunder has a lot of guys they want to get a look at. They've gotten their look at Darius Baisley, and I think we can see that you know, defensively, he's been phenomenal at times. Offensively, he doesn't really fit, and I don't know if that's going to change. I, I still think it's more likely than not that he's traded um, by the deadline. Uh, but, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, it certainly doesn't bode well for his future that he's logging two straight DNPs. For sure. I don't know that he's long for this team. That doesn't mean that he's not long for the league. I just don't know that he necessarily fits a lot of what they're asking him to do. And like you said, they've had a good look at him for the last couple of years, and they're trying to get a look at some different guys, whether it's an Isaiah Joe, um, a JRE, a J. Will, an Usman Jang, or guys like that. It's a long season, so maybe it'll swing back around for him to get some more opportunities, but I thought it was interesting, just based on some of the things you said about how many starts he's gotten to now where it's kind of gone the other end where he gets a few DNPs. Yeah, like, put him on... I mean, th this is not a novel concept. A lot of people have mentioned it, but 
put them on the Mavericks where all of their offense goes through Luka and the other players on the floor are not required to do all that much, but he can be a high-impact defender. Put them on the Hawks where everything revolves around um, DeJounte Murray and Trey Young. You've already seen John Collins like not have anywhere close to the offensive impact he used to. Um, j- just lower leverage offensive situations. The Thunder is a high-leverage offense that you know requires all five players to be able to make fast decisions and move the ball and put it on the floor um and you know basically for his defensive strengths those are some of his offensive weaknesses yeah i think this system is the best thing for the thunder going forward but at the same time it's not going to be for everybody you're going to see guys like darius Baisley who just the puzzle pieces don't fit for whatever reason and that's fine but um we'll see going forward and talking about development and seeing things forward, you know, you wrote a great article about Shea Gildress Alexander about his ascendance to superstardom. Um, what was it like getting to talk to Shea one on one and interviewing him and asking him some of these uh, big time questions? Yeah, so it's something I've wanted to do for a, a little while now, just because I know, you know, Shea has been one of the stories, you know, not only locally, but across the NBA this season and his rise to superstardom. So, wanted to make sure and and try to get a sit down with him as fast as I could. Um, And he was gracious with his time. I I just enjoy talking to Shay because I almost got this sense of like, why is this guy asking me these questions? Like questions like um, being, you know, the face of the franchise and getting to this point in his career and like putting up these numbers and being, you know, one of the best players in the NBA. And he was almost like nonchalant about everything. Like, yeah, I expected this. Like, you, you guys didn't see this coming. It, it was almost like, I mean, he wasn't that cocky about it, but he's just, he's he's low key about his confidence. Like, it just, like everything's no big deal to him, sort of off the floor. But he's still this killer on the floor, and. Um, you know, it, just just the contrast of like how he handles himself um, off the floor and on the floor. It really struck me during that interview um, because he's, you know, sometimes you talk to a star player and like you just like hear the intensity in their voice and you're like, okay, I, I know this guy got to where, why he got to where he got. And with Shea, it's a little different. It's just like, you know, he moseys on over, sits down and talks and, you know, goes about his day like, that's what kind of struck me about it yeah he has one of the more unique on off buttons for competitiveness it feels like from on the floor to off the floor because he comes in and it's just like he's you know we're ready to ask him some tough questions after a game and he's just walking in like he's about to go to a coffee shop and just sit down and just read whatever's going on and it's just hilarious to me but you mentioned it about the thing where you know, did you guys not expect me to be this good? It feels like a lot of people did not because Mark said, you know, he, was, he wasn't like this three years ago, what you had in the quote uh, for your article. He was a version of this, but he wasn't like this. You had his trainer from the uh, Toronto area who's also was like, I didn't see him. I thought he could be an NBA player. I didn't yeah. see this. So Shea's beating a lot of expectations. Well, yeah, I mean, he definitely has. So he was a... He was a big time recruit. I, I don't want to. I don't want anyone to get that twisted. He was like a top fifty ranked player in that twenty seventeen class. But when you go to Kentucky, um, 
unless you're a top 10 player, uh, I mean, you're going to be behind some other guys. So he was seventh. He was the seventh ranked recruit um, on that Kentucky team behind a lot of NBA players, PJ Washington, um, Nick Richards, Kevin Knox, Hamadou Diallo, who was in Oklahoma City, obviously. So some good players, but no like stars, like nowhere even close to what Shea has been. So he goes from high school, no one really expecting that college to no one really expecting that. Um, dare I mention Quade Green again, but Shea backed up Quade Green um, at Kentucky and then gets gets to the NBA. Very promising rookie season with the Clippers. I think he impressed a lot of people in their first round loss to the Warriors um, in, in that rookie season of his. And the Clippers did not want to give him up. Like, But when you're not only trading for Paul George, but also Kawhi Leonard, like you're going to have to, and that's where the Thunder drew the line. But even then, the Thunder didn't know exactly what they had. The Clippers didn't know exactly what they had given up. And I opened the story with this scene that Sam Presti told us in his exit interview last April, that it's just like poetic symmetry, really, that on the same night, he is on and off the phone with Daryl Morey, finalizing um, a deal that would send Russell Westbrook to Houston for the Chris Paul package. Um, he's also writing the op-ed that would later be published in the Oklahoman, sort of outlining you know, the rebuild that was coming and sort of bracing fans on, on what to expect. And in between all of this, you know, he talked about being emotional about, you know, for all his flaws, like Westbrook had been the guy in Oklahoma City, especially post Durant as the star that stayed. And he hears a basketball bouncing. He goes out, he, he knows not a lot of people are in the Thunder's practice facility. And it's Shea who has just arrived in Oklahoma City um, from LA, from being being traded by the Clippers, he's there with his agent, just working out. Um, not even he doesn't even have Thunder issued gear yet. And Sam has this funny comment of like, you know, what kind of shop are we running around here? Like this guy doesn't even have Thunder gear on. And it was just like in that moment that, you know, what Sam said is, you know, if this guy becomes a player, this is a story I'm going to remember. And he said he was comfortable sharing it last April because, like, we know he's going to become a player now. And, so, I mean, what has Shea done since April? I mean, like, we knew he was a, a really, really good player to now a great player. And, you know, he's it's early for this, but I think, you know, the three names you're going to mention if he keeps doing this and stays in Oklahoma City for a long time is, you know, they've had Kevin Durant to Russell Westbrook to now Shea Gilgis Alexander. Yeah, I think you're right, and it's just impossible to put a ceiling on him. I mean, there's some crazy outlandish things you could say, but every single year he gets better and blows away expectations. I don't know about for you, but for me, there were times where I was like, yeah, I think he could be the second or third guy on a team, maybe if you want to win a championship, but he just keeps blowing these expectations away where I'm, I'm just happy to be along for the ride to see how good Shea can get going forward. Yeah, he's not yet in his prime. And we're talking about him as being a shoe-in for the All-Star game. Being on an, I mean, if the season ended today, he would make All-NBA. He's been one of the 15 best players in the NBA. And, you know, if the Thunder was, I mean, their record's not terrible, but if the Thunder was, you know, higher up at the West, 
he'd be getting like realistic MVP consideration other than like an honorable mention, which is where he is now. So if he's doing that before he even reaches his prime, before he's even surrounded by like high level teammates, before Chet Holmgren can can maybe do what he can do, like yeah, I'm I'm I basically ended the story with let's wait and see because all of our predictions about this guy have been wrong. Um, it's not outlandish to think that he's a top 10 player, that he could be a top five player, that he could be a scoring champ. He might be a scoring champ this season. Who knows? Yeah, he's just such a unique player with such a unique path. I mean, a lot of people don't even know that his mom was a professional track runner for like the Olympics team with Canada or yeah. something like that. Obviously, you mentioned the stuff with Kentucky. We talked about the Clippers, but just some of the guys who he's been aligned with where obviously he learns under Doc Rivers, under Sam Cassell, uh, Patrick Beverly, and uh, different guys like Lou Williams. And he comes to the Thunder, and he gets the tutelage from Chris Paul. So just a lot of unique circumstances for him that have probably helped him become the player he is today. But it's been it's been extremely fascinating. And I wanted to ask you about, because I thought this was interesting, the relationship between um, Sam Presti and Shea. Yeah, I mean... I don't have the quote right in front of me. I don't know if you do, but basically um, I, I, can, I can pull it up here, but Shea was basically the, the, the trust that he has um, in Sam Presti comes across, you know, immediately. Like when I asked about, you know, all the narrative of why, you know, the Thunder's wasting his time or a talent like this, or why wouldn't he ask out and this, this is uh this is Shay's quote. It's always easy to trust someone when they haven't given you a reason not to trust them. It's always easier to trust someone when they tell you something and it happens. That's been my relationship with Sam so far. Then he went on to say, quote, everything he's told me has happened and he's never lied to me. It's easy to work. Well, it's crazy basketball's work, but it's easier to play basketball and put your all into every day and believe in the future when it, when it's a guy like that running the show. So he he's had I mean, in his exit interview last year, he talked about the alignment between him and the front office. And I think he was even more, he emphasized it even more in that interview. And, and you can just feel it. Um, he also talked about his relationship with Will Dawkins, the Thunder's vice president of basketball operations. And, you know, the, the whole idea that the Thunder would have ever considered trading him or let me back up. The whole idea that he would want to be traded, it was always flawed because the thing people don't realize is like no 22-year-old, no 23-year-old is ready to give up on being the guy, be, wanting to give up on being the franchise player um, and, you know, isn't willing to stick through a few losses to go join like a contender and being like the second or third guy where it's not your franchise. It's like, no one wants to do that. Like, when has that ever happened? Um, Devin Booker lost a ton early in his career, year after year after year after year. Um, I don't know if he ever asked out, but he, he stuck around. Obviously, Chris Paul was a big piece they brought in. And now Devin Booker is still the face of the Suns franchise, which is widely regarded as one of the best teams in the NBA. So, you know, there, there's a blueprint. I, I think we just, like, kind of get impatient with guys and, and don't realize, you know, how young they are and that like 
it's the older players, not the younger players, who are like chasing these wins later in their careers. Younger players are trying to establish themselves, trying to prove that they, you know, don't need to team up with somebody or ask out. Now, will it happen eventually? Who? I mean, maybe. I mean, guys are more likely than not to switch teams. I'll I'll just say that. Like, one day, you know, five years from now, six years from now. Will will Shea want to get to a bigger market or you know get to play for a more high profile team? That could easily happen, um, but right now, I mean, that's you know, unless he's like a, the best liar in the world and I'm the most gullible person in the world, that's just not where his head is at. Well, you talked about the quiet confidence. Obviously, he's going to be confident, and a lot of these younger guys, they feel like they're superheroes whenever they're the face of the franchise. They want to try this stuff out. I mean, things can change as guys get older, and like you said, more of that movement comes when guys are older. I mean, Kevin Durant, not to bring up old wounds, but he was the guy who tweeted out, you know, why does everybody want to join the Lakers in the heat? Let's go at these people. And then he joins the Warriors, so a lot of things can change. And then you mentioned it, that the likelihood that Shea will play for another team is higher than him staying in one place forever. And that's true. I mean, as much as it might sound like a negative, you can name the guys on one hand in the last... 20 years who have just played for one team, whether it's Steph, whether it's uh, Kobe Bryant, Dirk Nowinski, and yeah. guys like that. Dame Lillard. Yeah. Exactly. So there's just not a lot of guys like that in that sort of mold. So I don't know how much you can predict those guys like that, but it should be really interesting going forward. Um, but I, I really enjoyed that article on Shea, and I hope it was a good time. I like the part where you said that he says everything's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, every time you ask Shay a question, he'll start with, um, and then he thinks about it before answering, so had to include that, but um, I appreciate the kind of words, and glad we are able to get that out there, and um, if, if I could just, you know, like, the reason we're able to travel to these games and do this podcast and write these stories um, is to have longer pieces and pe- pieces people want to read to eventually subscribe to the Oklahoma. And so um, for, to continue to do this type of work, like we, we need everyone's support if you're able to. So I'll, I'll just, I'll just throw that out there. And not to mention you get some great news coverage, great OU and OSU coverage. So um, yeah, just if you're not an Oklahoma subscriber and you're listening to this podcast, just give it a look. Absolutely. And everybody's, already on pins and needles waiting for the quad a green feature long it'll be <laughs> every page in the oklahoman for that day's release quad a green i don't i don't think anyone talks about quad a green as much as i talk about quad a green not even him no not even quad a green's family but not even <laughs> but oh boy <laughs> moving on the thunder are back in action tomorrow night we alluded to a little bit with them playing against the cleveland cavaliers who are one of my favorite league pass teams but they look to present some of the same problems as the Grizzlies gave the Thunder with elite rim protection with Jared, Al- Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. And on the other end, they have some elite scores with guys like Donovan Mitchell, who's been playing at an all-NBA level, and then one of the better young point guards in the league in Darius Garland. Yeah, they're, they're a total load. Um, just a really fun team to watch with all the young talent they've collected and then adding Donovan Mitchell on top of that. Another game where it's going to be vitally important for Lou Dort to be available because um, you've got a couple of elite guards that you would like him to cover. And, 
I mean, those those guys down low, just so fun to watch where, you know, you don't mind having smaller guards if you're funneling everything to Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. So I, I'm with you. They're, they're also one of my favorite teams in the league um, ju- just to watch on a, you know, random game against the the hornets well i don't want to watch the hornets the the blazers i'll say that but yeah check check into this one because the the Cavs are exciting and up and coming for sure i mean they get knocked out of the play-in last year but they definitely are up and coming they have a lot of fun players but going to this one i guess the biggest question i have is who guards shea obviously they're going to funnel everything but i don't think isaac okoro or uh your karis leverts of the world are the best one-on-one matchups for shea yeah, I mean, there are very few, um, unless Herb Jones gets traded in the next, like, 20 minutes. I mean, there there are very few guys who can stand up with Shea one-on-one. And, you know, it's going to be, it's cliche, but, like, teams are, it's just a team effort when you're guarding Shea. Like, you're going to collapse on him. You you know the personnel around him, and you're going to try to make those other guys beat you instead of Shea. And just with his, you know, propensity of getting to the rim and those two guys waiting down low, I actually think even though they don't have that lockdown perimeter defender, Cleveland's got to feel pretty good about their chances compared to other teams as far as slowing him down um, around the rim. Okoro has been a disappointment. A guy drafted, I think, seventh overall, top ten for sure, and it's just a nothing on offense, and, you know, the defense isn't good enough to keep him out there when he's not um, contributing anything on the other end, but yeah, that that will be interesting at least to see like who's guarding him at the point of attack. And we'll see if Lou Dort comes back. Like you mentioned, that'll be huge because they need somebody. Can't have Shea and J Dub guard everybody, or even Aaron Wiggins, all or nothing. Aaron Wiggins, who got to play the other night, but those two guys are just so talented and a pretty deep team. They're one of my favorite teams in the East, like we were talking about. But should be a good one. Um, if you're a daily fantasy type of player, I would pick up Jared Allen going into this one. I think he's going to have a big night. <laughs> yeah, probably going to have a lot of rebounds, blocks, points, do a little bit of everything. Yeah, but it should be interesting. I'm excited for that one. And then um, just keeping on with the Cavs, I just wanted to ask you, uh, we talked about this earlier, are the Cavs somewhat of a blueprint for the Thunder? Obviously, it's a not a one-to-one fit. These rebuilds are different. These teams are different. The players are different. But just as a team who's up and coming, maybe the Thunder going into the next year, I mean, you have that the Cavs added Evan Mobley as their big. Uh, the Thunder will add Chet Holmgren going into next year. The Cavaliers made it into the play-on and lost, but then took a big step going forward over this summer. They made a big trade. Obviously, it's been much talked about. The Thunder have a ton of assets. So is this something, I guess, reasonable as a blueprint that we could see maybe the Thunder doing going forward? I, I think it is from like a fan perspective or you know people following the team to look at what the Cavs have done and take some confidence or hope away from that. Now, inside the Thunder's office, I don't think they're looking at it as a blueprint at all because they have their own blueprint. And they're, they sort of take pride in, like, you know, charting their own course and having other teams have to, have to follow it. Now, they might end up doing something very similar to what the Cats have done because – um, as far as like what the Cavs have just been through, there are some similarities. Like 
the Cavs had three rebuilding seasons before they won 44 games last year and made the play-in. Those three seasons had wins of 19, 19, and 22. Um, the Thunder is in the third season of its rebuild um, and have had uh, wins of season wins of 22 and 24. So already, like those first two years of the Cavs rebuild were worse than the first two years of the Thunder's rebuild. Um, and we'll see where, where this one winds up. Um, during that time, the Cavs got lottery picks like Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, Isaac Coro, Evan Mobley traded for Allen and Mitchell. The Thunder's lottery picks, uh, only two drafts into this, Josh Giddich at home, Gernus Manjang and Jalen Williams. So the biggest piece missing, other than like that Allen trade, which Cleveland really sort of lucked into. I mean, it was a savvy move by them, but they were just a piece in helping facilitate that. Um, but other than that, the biggest outlier is the Mitchell deal. So using that Cavs timeline, that could come as soon as this. Or No, it wouldn't even be this offseason. It would be the offseason of like 2024, um, which I think is pretty realistic. Like if, if Chet Holmgren pops like we think he's going to and whoever else they draft this year, and then you're looking at a core of um, – Shea and Giddy and Chet and, you know, J-Dub, whoever else might be among that, then I think that's when it makes sense to maybe do that consolidation package, trade some of those future picks, and go out and get a Donovan Mitchell caliber player. So um, I do think we might look back and, and see some similarities on this. It's a good point. And what's cool about this Thunder team, obviously it's not perfect. There's been talk about, you know, the Shea and Giddy combo, but... I think that you can kind of add most players to this team and it kind of fits anyways, which is really nice. You're not going to have to overhaul everything. I don't think you're going to get a better score than Shea, like how the Cavaliers added Donovan Mitchell and he's just their best player all of a sudden. Barring some miracle, I don't think the Thunder are trading for a player who's better than Shea. But if you can get the Robin to his Batman or if uh, Chet is the second guy and you can find a tertiary guy, I think that would be huge. But... Yeah, I don't think that they're going to push the button anytime soon like Presti has talked about. I mean, that was the one button that the Cavaliers could do, and now they're kind of stuck with this team for better or for worse. It looks like for better right now. But it should be interesting with the Thunder going forward because I know a lot of fans are, you know, they see all these picks and they're like, what if we could spend some of that? It's not the time right now, but it's definitely on the, um, I don't know, it's, in the realm of possibilities going forward the next few years, like you said, in 2024 and beyond. Yeah, Chet Holmgren is the Thunder's highest pick um, that they've ever had. I mean, uh, obviously Durant was also number two, but that was Seattle. So since they've moved to Oklahoma City, he, he's their highest pick, their most valuable um, draft pick they've ever had. So the Thunder's not going to press said button before they know what kind of player this guy is. They're super hopeful. Um, everyone in Oklahoma City uh, and the surrounding state is super hopeful, but like you don't want to you don't want to make that Mitchell move before you know what Holmgren is or isn't. Like this could go any number of ways. First, they have to see how he um, his rehab is going well. He had a second surgery, uh, which was planned and expected to remove the screws in his foot, so everything is going well from on that front, but. 
Like they just need to see how the the pieces fit before there's one missing, and then they go out and try to see which one is going to fill that void. Well, that reminds me of the great quote that uh, Sam Presti had at like the end of the season uh, presser that you were referring to earlier from your article, and he said, "Let's we're not going to try to fix a problem we don't know that we have yet." So that yeah. yeah, that always rang with me and like stayed with me of like, let's see what happens with Chet before we start trying to fix things that we don't know are an issue yet or we don't know that might be a strength now that we overcorrect or anything like that. Yeah, this is Shea's fourth season with the Thunder. After so you had the Chris Paul season. After that next season, what if they would have been like, you know what? Shea's really good, but he profiles as, like, a number two score. We need to go out and get a number one score. And it's like, well, you have one. Just wait a couple of years. And that's what they did, and Shea emerges. So they're not going to be hasty with any of these decisions. Um, But you just look at the roster top to bottom. They're just so far ahead of where they were two years ago. Like, um, I don't think anyone's missing the, you know, no offense to these guys, but like the Jalen Horde, Josh Hall, Moses Brown, Svima Hiluk days. Like we're wondering, you know, man, Baisley didn't get playing time. And this is a guy that this was a full time starter. It's like where's Aaron Wiggins? Like no one no one was like, where's the, you know, tenth guy two years ago? Like this this team has a lot of talent around it. Some of it is not going to work out. Some of it is going to work out. Like, um, if either Aaron Wiggins or Jeremiah Robinson Earl turns into like a top eight rotational piece on a good team, like you realize how big of a win that would be to get a second round pick turn into a rotational player on a good team. So like the, the top picks matter most, but they've, they've kind of slowly but steadily collected talent and they're, they're still, I would say at least two off seasons away um, you know, not this one, but maybe the next offseason for making that splashy move. But I, I've given up on, like I've given up on trying to predict where Shea is, is going to be. I've given up on trying to predict when Sam Presti is going to make a, a earth-rattling trade because those usually seem to come from nowhere. Oh, yeah, and if you did predict it, I think he would be pretty spiteful and he would go out of his way to cancel the deal and wait a little bit longer <laughs> just so he can say that Joe wasn't right. If only I had that much power in the Thunder organization or in any part of my life, but alas, I do not. Well, I know he compared your uh, your knee or something to the knee of a professional athlete. He said an average Joe, and he's like, no offense, Joe. It was one of my, yeah, my favorite to, points. To, to Shea's MCL, he, uh, he was knocking my MCL, which, you know, for all of my flaws, I have a really strong MCL, and that's what Sam didn't know. That's what people say all the time. They see Joe, and they go, <laughs> you know what? Nice guy, but solid MCL. I'll give you that. They say, look at the MCL on that guy. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's how you got your wife. I just, that's <laughs> the MCL genes exactly. are right there. But it's been fun. Always great talking basketball with you. It should be a fun one on Saturday with the Thunder going and playing against the Cleveland Cavaliers. And then they wrap up the road trip with one more game against the Dallas Mavericks before coming home. But I'm just really excited. Is there anything else you have to plug before we get out of here? I'm working on a uh, a feature about my namesake, Isaiah Joe, and just the, the cool story that he has, you know, going from uh, being let go by the Sixers, signing with the Thunder, and what I find fascinating about guys like him and like Lindy Waters fits into this category is that the high school level and younger levels, playing AAU ball, 
these are all guys that could do everything on the floor. Um, but as they get to the NBA, there's only a handful of guys who can do everything, and you've got to find your roles. And Isaiah, role, I, Isaiah Joe has found his role as a knockdown three-point shooter. And uh, just to give a, a little tease for the story, it's like, so when did this click for you that, you know, you are going to have to do this to, to make the NBA or play pro ball? And he was like, playing with Daniel Gafford at Arkansas. And I was like, what? So it, it's basically like, you know, Gafford was this dominant big man um, at Arkansas. is in the league now with the Wizards. And basically, you know, everything is so much tighter. The, the floor is so much tighter in college that, like, you know, they wanted Gafford to just feast inside and, like, give him space. And Isaiah Joe um, turned into a, you know, spacing three-point shooter around him. And he also credited, you know, his dad and, and some other people who helped him along the way. But he's got a pretty cool story. Yeah, that's something I learned at the college level is just – and it's it's easy to say now, but it was hard to see at the time as a player. But the coaches are not always trying to maximize you as an individual, but they're trying to maximize the team. And the max version of Lindy Waters coming off pick and rolls, you're probably not going to win a lot of games. But if you can maximize him in that role, you can really, really help your team. But that should be a fun one going forward. Looking forward to uh, some Joe-on-Joe, one-on-one time there. Hopefully I don't have to play them one on one in basketball, but just one on one, you know, with my with my phone out recording an interview. That's that's the only one on one I want. Rely on your MCL. That'll be it. That's the whole <laughs> whole game plan oh, of that. Boy. That and don't let him shoot. But should be fun. Thanks again, Joe, for coming on with me. And like he mentioned, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for reading. Subscribe to the Oklahoman. Thank you for making this possible that we can do this. Um, I mentioned this on Tuesday, and I'm going to get on this weekend for sure, but I'm going to make a new Twitter account for the Thunder Buddies. I'll make sure to tweet that out, send it to Joe. Everybody will be a lot of fun. That's where you can find all the great uh, Thunder coverage we have with some graphics with um, Joe's work, the podcasts, graphics, um, Thunder Buddies without context, all your favorite things. But it should be a good time, and we will be back on Tuesday. <laughs>